Said this morning, turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke and chapter 24. The Gospel according to Luke and chapter 24. I'll remind you that Luke is the only Gentile writer in the Bible, the New Testament, that we're aware of. And he wrote about one-third of the New Testament. So this big division between you know, Jew and Gentile is a pretty serious thing for Jews, um, especially during this time frame. And yet, Jesus calls um, Luke to be one of his disciples. He's not one of the, you remember, he's not one of the twelve, right? But he is a disciple of Jesus nonetheless. He actually uh, follows around Paul on his missionary journeys and ends up writing a gospel about Jesus. And he says he bases it on eyewitness accounts. You remember at the very beginning of Luke, he even tells you up front, he says, look, I know other people have written about Jesus, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with sources, with people who actually knew Him. He apparently went and interviewed uh, people who knew Jesus, such as Mary, such as John. Uh, And obviously, um, he was uh, also the writer of Acts. So, I mean, you're talking about two huge books in the New Testament, and Luke wrote both of them, and he's a Gentile. Um, Which, when Jesus comes, there is no more division between Jew and Gentile. That's good news for us, because, well, you're a Gentile. Um, And so, so here's Luke in in the middle. And, And what you'll notice with Luke, a few things, he focuses on the Holy Spirit... All right, there's a great focus in both the Gospel of Luke and in Acts, which really you could change the title around of Acts of the Apostles to Acts of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is in the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, they're almost identical. The ascension is the link between both of them. As I just mentioned, the feast for the ascension is actually this past Thursday. And so this is what you could call Ascension Sunday. Let's pick up reading uh, these last few words that Luke leaves us with in his Gospel about Jesus. Starting in 24 and verse 36. Notice these words. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them. (laughs) So they're in a room talking and all of a sudden Jesus appears. And He said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? We talked about that last week. See, or the week before. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. He said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Jesus apparently liked fish, which is a good thing. Fish is great. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now remember, the Jewish Bible is made of three parts. The law, the prophets, the writings. He just said that. So that whole Old Testament points to Him and has now been fulfilled in Him. So notice this. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. While He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. Your Word is food for our soul. We need the nourishment of the bread of life. You give us that bread. May we now respond to You and may You reveal Yourself fully to us in this place this morning. That's our desire. We want to see You. Open our eyes. Open our ears to hear what You have to say to us by Your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Waiting is a terrible thing, isn't it? We just heard from the kids that, um, you know, some things are worth waiting for, but it's tough, isn't it? I mean... We, I've noticed as adults, are really just overgrown kids. Uh, We still want what we want when we want it. And when we don't get it when we want it, we get upset. We get angry. You see this at traffic lights. You see this in traffic jams. (laughs) The best of people comes out there, right? Um, I saw it this morning. In Hardy's, as I went in to uh, exchange a cold coffee for a hot coffee, um, and they were having problems there apparently at Hardy's, and this guy cursed Jesus Christ's name right in front of everybody over a biscuit. Over a biscuit. Um, I just thought to myself, you know, nothing against the guy in particular because we've been there, haven't we? Just because of a little weight. Doctor's office, isn't that a great place to test you, right? I mean, why is it taking this guy so long, right? (laughs) My brother being a doctor, it's more funny. Um, And so we wait. We, We have all sorts of things that we have to wait for. We wait for the kind of car that we can finally afford or for the kind of house or for a purchase that we've been been saving up for, hopefully. But in our society, there are ways to bypass that. 
such things as credit, such things as cheating even. And so there is a temptation not to wait. There is something that is often missed when we don't wait. So we get our food immediately, and yet it's not appreciated. Um, when you have to wait for some things, it's better, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, days where it's been a long day and I didn't even have time to eat. When I finally eat, it could be not that great food, but it's great to me, right? Because I waited. I waited. There's a waiting game that we all have to play. And uh, Dr. Seuss talks about that in his great book, right? So, you know, waiting around for the rain to come, the train to go, right? You follow me? We wait. We wait. Jesus here, interestingly, tells His disciples to wait. Now you'd think if the world needed to be saved, which it did and still does, that He'd tell them, get on the ball! Go! Hurry up! I mean, around our house, one of the most recurring phrases is, hurry up! Let's go! Come on! Let's do it! I mean, I feel like a coach... You know, most of the time, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. I mean, you know, trying to coach people out of the house or trying to coach people from the play zone or trying to coach people from the play. You know, uh, I'm trying to always hurry. And Jesus says, wait, wait. It's always shocking to me to read this again. Um, he says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. They end up waiting 50 days total. And I got to thinking to myself here, I'm saying, why wait? Why do we have to wait? I mean, He is God after all, right? Why do I need to wait? That's like telling me to wait even though I can nuke it in the microwave. Why would I you know, cook a hot dog on the stove, which is going to take 10 minutes, when I can nuke it in one? Why wait? Jesus tells them to wait. Interestingly, you go back to the Old Testament and guess what? they got to wait. Right? I mean, think about Abraham. Right? He's already in his 90s and God says, hey, I'm going to give you a, give you a son. That's great. Um, better hurry up. I'm kind of already past that you know, phase of life. And they wait. They wait and wait. And year after year goes by. And they finally take matters in their own hands. And God says, it's not my way. Wait. The children of Israel promised land, aren't they? And yet, they have to wait for it. God basically says, Abraham, come on through here. I'm going to give your descendants all this land. You know in the back of his mind he had to be thinking, I'm sorry, why can't you give it to me? <laughs> and let me pass it on down to them? Instead, he passes through and the next generation passes through. Isaac. Next generation, Jacob passes through. Joseph ends up in Egypt. And for 400 years, they're in Egypt. Don't you think they got a little depressed? You think you waited a long time in line? 400 years went by. And they weren't in the land. Had God abandoned His promises? No. But He made them wait. Don't you find that interesting? Waiting is not always what we think of as a virtue, is it? <laughs> I mean, most people don't have that virtue in them. And yet, 
God tells them to wait again here on the promise of the Father. Now, of course, that promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had been promised way back in the Old Testament. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see the need for God's Spirit to be in us. Not just in the leaders. Not just in the kings, or the priests, or the prophets. But in us, the people of God. In order to obey, we needed the Holy Spirit. He tells them to wait. (laughs) Did you catch it? Notice, but... Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Trekking through the rest of the Bible all the way up to the New Testament, don't you find it fascinating that Jesus even, you know, for instance, Peter will say, You are the Christ! And he says, Don't tell anyone. He delivers a demoniac, someone possessed of demons. And they say, praise be to God, you are God's Christ, Messiah. And he says, don't tell anyone. I always scratch my head when I read it. I'm saying, why, why would you do that? Don't, don't you want people to know that you are the Christ? <laughs> Here's the first thing. God is in control. <laughs> He's not in a hurry. I mean, you ever notice that when you're in control, you're not in a hurry? It's when you're out of control that you're in a hurry. When somebody else, you know, when you're on somebody else's dime, you're 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 stressing out, you know? Gotta be at the doctor, oh my goodness, let's go, let's go. You know. If you're the doctor, does he look like he's in a hurry? No, he comes in, chats with you a little bit, you're thinking, man, no wonder we're backed up. Get to the meat. <laughs> God is in control and He's not in a hurry. He's not stressing out. He's not, hurry up guys, let's go, we're going to lose it. He's not, He's in control. Now, it's not a control like a dictator where He's moving the pieces of a puzzle or a game. Instead, it's the same kind of control that, that I would say if your kids got out of control, I'd say, get your kids under control, man. Or someone would say to me, get your kids under control. Does that mean I lock them in a chain? No. Does that mean I make them move and say that? No. No, that's not the kind of control God has over His world. Instead, it's a controlled control. It's not a robotics control. He's in control because He is not surprised by anything. So if something happens in your life and you're surprised, wow, you know, this hit us like a load of bricks. We didn't know it was coming. We've all been surprised. God is not surprised. He's never. That's something we can trust in. Is He is never surprised. It's not just that He knows what was coming down the pike. It's that He knows all possibilities of what could come down the pike. In other words, He knows everything there is to know about anything. So nothing could ever surprise Him. He knows every every possible decision you could make. It's not just that He knows what you're going to make. He knows every possible decision and what it would look like and what the turnout would be. He is the greatest analyst of all time. 
And so God is in control, and He is managing things just fine. And He's not in a hurry. And sometimes in our life, we need to slow down and realize that. Because we're go, team, go, aren't we? At least around our crew, you know, I always say we run a tight ship around our house. We have to or everything will get out of control. But sometimes we need to slow down. Sometimes we back off. Sometimes we need to be quiet. Sometimes we need to quiet, just like the song said, we need to quiet our hearts before God. In seminary, I'll never forget one of the, one of the professors there he asked me, you know, he said, Marshall, how are you doing? And I said, man, I'm just busy going from this thing to the next. And I was trying to almost, we, and we do this. I, I noticed that people do this. We try to impress by our busyness. We're almost in competition to see who's the busiest, right? Because we feel like if we're busy, people go, oh man, he, he really got a life going on. <laughs> and what he said to me next, you know, was really shocking to me. He said, it's not a good thing to always be busy. Now, this is somebody who was super busy. But it's not a good thing to always be busy. Because what happens is you lose control of what's important for what's overwhelming you at the time. And the first things of importance go to the back. And whatever's coming next at you is all that matters. And what we need to do is unplug. I think of that video game where, or actually it's a Star Wars thing, where all the stars are coming at you, you know, or you have to dodge it or whatever, you know. That's how life is. It's, it's coming at you quick and when you just unplug. What is more important than God? Is there anything more important than God? Sounds like a frivolous question, but yet we act like stuff is more important than God, don't we? I do. I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm talking about me. I act like things are more important than God. More important than praying to God. More important than reading God's Word. And first things get put into secondary things. God's not in a hurry because He's got all the time in the world. <laughs> and beyond. Get it? He's got all the time in the... You know, he, So why wait? We come back to that question, why wait? Why, why does He make us... Is he, is he playing some game with us? Like we thought our parents were, right? When we were young. I mean, are, are they just trying to make us wait just to be mean? I mean, give me the ice cream now, man. It's in your pocket, the money. The store's right there. Why do we have to wait? It's almost scary sometimes to announce that we're going to do something fun because I want it now. I want it now. No, we said later. <laughs> Why does God make us wait? Why did God make them wait? I uh, wasn't allowed to date until I was 16. And I had my first date when I was 16. Um, why? Was Dad being mean to me? Was he, was he just trying to make me weird when everybody else was already dating at six? <laughs> was he playing a game with my life? No. I wasn't ready. 
Is God playing a game with our life? No. We're not ready. It's not on God. See, our questioning is already at fault. Our questioning assumes that it's God's fault that we're having to wait. No, it's your fault. No, it's my fault. I'm not ready. The, the, the guy who just got delivered from demons, he's not ready to proclaim the gospel. He has no idea. That's why Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone yet. The disciples, He tells them, don't tell anybody yet. He tells them, wait to go out into all the world. Yes, I'm commissioning you to go out into the entire world to spread My name. But don't do it yet. Wait. Wait. Why? Because they weren't ready. If they'd have gone out before they were ready, they would have botched up the whole thing. They would have made a Jesus into an idol, not into who He really was. They thought they knew, and yet they did not know. We are children, aren't we? We're God's children. He knows best. And the reason we have to wait is because we're not ready. We must receive God's Spirit in here or we'll never be an accurate witness of God. Amen. Don't we have enough charlatans? Enough, you know, TV evangelists and personalities out there and Christians who claim Christ and yet are spreading a false gospel by the way they live that has given the church a terrible name? Why? Because they weren't ready. People have often posed the question... Why doesn't God just take us up? You know, after we convert to Him, after we are born again, I mean, why does He not just take us up? And there's all kind of answers that people give. <laughs> all kind of answers that people give to that. I'm not laughing at you necessarily, but but why does He do that? You ever thought about that? Why don't He just take us up? I mean, why make us drudge through life? Through these trials where... Remember the reading from Peter today? Count it a joy when you go through these fiery trials. Why does He let us wait down here? It's because we're not ready for Him. We're still ugly inside. We think we are a beautiful bride for Him. But we haven't looked in the mirror of His perfect law. He must make us holy or we won't be ready for heaven. We won't like it. We won't look like it. We won't look like Him. And so we must be sanctified, made holy, Holiness is the only way you'll ever see God. And that process of holiness takes you losing yourself. Let me tell you something. That is a hard thing to do. To get rid of self, the flesh as Paul calls it, 
to lose yourself in love is a process of dying. Which is why the cross is important. Which is why we must take up our cross and follow Him through these trials, through these valleys. The good news of all this is He promises to be with us. Not only does He promise to be with us, but He's already walked through this path. All we have to do, just like we talked about last week, is follow the footsteps. We won't see Him. Just like, remember, I told you what Baylor said last week about going to the beach, you know? Daddy, I didn't look at you. I just looked at your footsteps. I thought, that's the most theological thing I've ever heard. Because we can't see Jesus right now. But let me tell you, you can see His footprints clearly. In here, in here, in here, prayer. If you'll only look, we give up. We don't. Here's the scariest thing, and I'm being, I'm being dead serious, and it scares me to death, and this is what I pray against. We don't care, really. Isn't that the worst? I mean, even in relationships, when it comes down to you don't care anymore, that means you've hit the bottom. That means you're at zero. We just don't care. Apathy is the worst of sins. We just don't really care about being holy. We just want to be forgiven and go to heaven and live our life the way we want to live it. But let me tell you, that's the kind of life that leads you to hell. Amen. Hell is full of people who call Jesus Lord. Don't you remember what Jesus Himself says? There'll be many. He didn't say a few. Many who said, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in Your name. Have you ever done that? We preached in Your name. Did you do that? Yet He'll say, I don't know You. Back to John 17.3, aren't we? This is eternal life. Knowing God. We just don't care to know Him. We care to know our TV shows, our movies, our sports, our politics, our job. But God, I'll meet Him when I get up there. You might meet Him when you get down there. He tells them to wait because they're not ready. But they will be ready when they're filled with the Spirit. And you'll be ready. The Spirit is what we need in our life. In, I'm saying literally, in our life. We need God's Spirit. Pentecost is next week and, and we got one more week of waiting. You say, well, well, waiting really stinks. Yeah. But you know what? You don't have to wait and twiddle your thumbs. That's not the kind of waiting Jesus told them. What did they do when they waited? Did you read it? They met with Acts. The Acts reading we had actually had it in it. They prayed. They were in unity praying together in the upper room. They weren't just laid up on a couch. Well, I guess He'll come and surprise us. No, they were bringing it in with prayer. (laughs) And so, how do we wait for Jesus? How do we wait for the end? Do Do we just try to barely make it through life and etch through life? And then finally go meet Him? No, 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 no. 
You actively wait. I know it's almost oxymoronic. Actively wait. How is that? You wait in the means of grace. Now, what, is, what are the means of grace? The means of grace are ways, means, ways that God has designed to give us His grace. Give us His unmerited mercy. His power to transform us. It's almost as if you could see the spiritual world, and you would see these spouts, spigots that pour forth His grace. You say, where are they? I want to I get under them, you know? Just like my kids, when we turn on the sprinklers, they, they're running through it, you know, and then all of a sudden, a big part of the sprinkler will hit them. Woo, it's cold, you know. You want to get under that. I mean, if, you, if you're hot, you want to get under where the rain is pouring. Where it's really pouring down. Where are those ways? What are those means of grace? Well, they're the sacraments. We've talked about this before. The sacrament is mystery. These mysteries that God gives us. What is one of them? Right here in front of you. What is another? Baptism. The Lord's Supper. Baptism. Prayer. If you want to receive God's grace, pray. Cry out to Him. He will hear you. You say, I I just don't really feel like loving God. I don't feel like knowing God. I don't really know if I know God. I don't really know if I am a Christian. Christ-like. Pray. Pray with all your might. Pray with all your heart. That is a means that God will respond to prayer. Don't go running off on some mountain or some trip uh, to Timbuktu or Tibet. No. Use the means by which God has designed. Guess what? Here's another one right here. Scripture. Guess what? You're practicing one means of grace today. It's coming to church. It's gathering with the body of Jesus Christ. That's a means of grace. Have you ever wondered, man, it's just something about church. Yeah, it's God's grace. He's pumping grace into this place. This is a place designated to pour forth His grace, His Spirit. When you open this Bible up and you, get, you want to know His voice, you will. His Spirit. He wants to be known. We're the ones that don't want to know. <laughs> Fasting. Fasting. Saying, you know what? I'm not going to do this today, this week, because I'm going to sacrifice it to God and give Him that time. Fasting is a means of grace that maybe a lot of us have never practiced. So, we wait. We wait. We wait for Him to come. We don't know when He's coming, but we work until He comes. We wait until He comes, actively waiting in the means of grace. Here's what John Wesley said, who was the impetus for our tradition that we uphold here, the Methodist tradition. He said this, he said, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, 
in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. We are not to wait carelessly, but instead actively working. Waiting in hope, waiting in faith, waiting in love for the Spirit Himself, that flame of love to descend upon us. And if you'll wait like that as a receptor, there's no way you're not going to be filled. But if you wait like this, always looking down at your business, going about your business, how are you going to ever be filled? God never does anything for me. Well, get your receptors up. Open your life up. He can't do anything with this. Reminds me of Baylor. That's <laughs> what he used to always do. <laughs> no, it's the way of the cross. Always. That's our posture. Is that what your life looks like? Do you know the warmth, the joy, <laughs> the, the power that comes with being filled with the Spirit? I mean, it's about rocking your world. A great wind that rushes into your life and blows away anything that's not grounded. That's what the Spirit comes to do. He's the breath of God. The breath of life. And He wants to live in us to give us joy and peace. Happiness. But only through holiness. There is no happiness apart from living holy. That's the secret to happiness. And guess who brings holiness? The Holy Spirit. He must descend. We must have our own Pentecost this week, today. He can do it. Get your receptors up. Lift your hands unto God. Lift your hearts to Him. Open up your life. Make room for God. Clear the desk. What is more important than God? There's nothing. 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 He's everything. (laughs) Amen.